On the last day of last year, Casey, our 14-year-old golden retriever, died. 14 is really old for a golden retriever. And he had a full golden retriever life, running in the woods and jumping off the dock to retrieve tennis balls. His human family adored him. And when he was 11, the household came to include Madison, an adolescent lab mix adopted from Madison County's animal shelter. It was easy to see how much Madison meant to Casey, more than we ever imagined. As they played together, he made Casey feel young, and Madison deserves the credit for Casey's longevity. What we did not realize until afterward was what Casey meant to Madison. We expected Maddie to be distressed, and he was. What we did not expect is how completely he would lose his social self-confidence. Madison is a dog who was obviously traumatized early in life. He is terrified by gunfire or fireworks or any loud percussive sound. With Casey as his friend, he could navigate his fears. Without Casey, he became timid and anxious about everything, often uneasy around unfamiliar dogs, always uneasy with unfamiliar people. His vet, who has made a project of gaining his trust, reminds us how protective we must be, never boarding him in order to leave town. Under stress, she says, he could become a fear biter. As our conversation drifted, as conversations these days sometimes do, to the state of our country, it struck me that the phrase fear biter applies to more than dogs. Looking at our divisions, there has been so much rage, and beneath it, there is fear. Even in those who seem determined to stir up those fears, though one might think of their motivation as greed or malice or an inordinate desire for power, there is also, I think, a lot of fear. One day I happened to hear on NPR a defense of the Second Amendment. The speaker said that gun ownership, or perhaps he meant the right to it, is the foundation of our dignity as human beings. Being unable to defend oneself surely does undermine one's sense of having dignity. But the speaker's view, I think, underestimates the cost, not only in lives tragically destroyed, but in increased distrust of one another and growing isolation. Trapped in fear, could it be that we do not know who we are? Episcopal priest Phillips Brooks was echoing the Greek church fathers when he wrote O Little Town of Bethlehem. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. For Brooks, Christ becomes incarnate not just in Jesus, but in us all. For St. Maximus the Confessor, 
the great seventh century philosopher and theologian, the purpose of Christ's incarnation, incarnation in all creation, is to bind everything into friendship. And for Maximus, it is also the incarnation that gives human beings their vocation. It is the role specifically of human beings to reverse creation's divisions. To do this, says Maximus, each of us must first overcome the divisions within ourselves, the insecurity that makes us fear biters, as it were. When we are no longer at war with ourselves, we can appreciate the differences among us, the diversity within our shared humanity can be seen to be part of the way we image God rather than being a source of conflict. But when we are at peace with one another, Maximus believes, we are able to experience and respect the earth with all its varieties of creatures. The task that has become so urgent and which Maximus thinks of as uniting the inhabited world with Eden. Maximus even imagines that human beings can unite earth and heaven by having knowledge in the way he believes angels do, a way that does not divide things up into parts. As we consciously live into Christ's incarnation in every being, it is humanity, Maximus says, that will, through pure love, unite created nature with God. For Maximus, we are able to reverse all that divides us, not by some totalitarian obliteration of our differences, but by overcoming their divisiveness. Then we will know that the identity of each of us is to be found not in isolation, but in relationship. For Greek Christian Platonists like Maximus, the concept of sameness and difference is complex. And just for that reason, it offers space in which to think about the relation which anchors it, the relation between creation and God. Dionysius in the Eastern Church, Saint Dionysius, a sixth century writer who influenced Maximus, put it this way. The scripture writers say that God is in our minds, in our souls, and in our bodies, in heaven and on earth, that while remaining ever within God's self, God is also in and around and above the world, that God is above heaven and above all being, that God is sun, star, and fire, water, wind, and dew, cloud, archetypal stone, and rock, that God is all things, that God is no thing. This is not pantheism. God is not a way of talking about nature as a whole. And neither is it exactly theism in the sense of God as a separate being existing in addition to creation a God who since the 17th century has been seen by many as remote, then irrelevant, and finally non-existent. I often wonder 
when folks describe themselves as spiritual but not religious, whether one thing they may be looking for is some way to express their sense of God as present in all beings. In Christian tradition, one way of articulating that sense of God's presence has always been the incarnation. As a philosopher, I tried to trace the ways Greek philosophers of late antiquity, some of them pagan and others Christian, think about the omnipresent one, or God, that binds everything into relationship. Approaching Christmas, I have a sense of awe about the love that plays in the space between difference and sameness. There is a TED talk in which a data analyst was curious to see what words occurred most often in obituaries in the New York Times. It turns out that one word occurred more than any other in describing notable lives. That word is helped. A year after Casey's death, Madison has become more playful, at least with a few dog friends and with us. When we walk around the neighborhood, he seems mostly willing to walk past the yards of dogs who bark at him instead of running for home. Maybe he is coming to recognize that he has dignity. Maybe he is coming to see that whatever his early experience, he is entitled to a place. O magnum mysterium, O great mystery and wonderful sacrament, that beasts should see the newborn Lord lying in a manger. The centuries-old chant for Christmas, which blesses the animals, names the place where there is room for us all. And juxtaposed with that image is the way the chant ends. It ends retrospectively with Elizabeth's greeting to Mary. Blessed is the virgin whose womb was worthy to bear the Lord Jesus Christ. Division without divisiveness. Within ourselves and all creation, in this morning's Gospel, John the Baptist, in the presence of the yet-to-be-born Jesus, has every reason to leap in his mother Elizabeth's womb. We are not meant to be estranged from one another. In the name of Christ, amen.